Let's get into his word right now, okay? Go ahead and have a seat. Turn to the book of 1 John because we're gonna just keep this theme rolling right now. As we dive in in our new series, will the real Christians please stand up? Today, we're gonna talk about the single most important thing about you. You all right with that? In fact, 100 years from now, nothing is gonna matter to any of us than whether or not we have this one single most important thing. If you have it, you're actually wealthier than you realize. But if you don't have it, you are to be pitied above all people, no matter how much wealth you have. If you have it, a thousand strong demons cannot conquer your soul or even touch your soul. But without it, even if you have the strength of a thousand warriors, you're an eternal weakling. Here's a sobering truth. <laughs> you might be the nicest, kindest, sweetest, most selfless person on the planet. Yet without this single most important thing, you will be lost and without hope. Conversely, you might be one of the worst people on the planet. There may be things in your past that you have done, tar dark and terrible things that you would be horrified if others knew that you did them. And even with all of that darkness in your background, if you have this one thing, you have a future that is as bright as the sun. Anybody wanna take a shot at what I'm talking about, that one single most important thing? It's called salvation from sin. That's what we're gonna be talking about today. And we're gonna answer the question Ask the question and answer the question, do you have it, salvation from your sins? And do you know you have it? Can you know that you have it? That's what we're gonna be talking about today. It took me back, as I was studying this, it took me back to whenever I was a little kid. Um, my Sunday school teachers in Sunday school, when I was very little, we used to sing songs, and we used to sing songs on a children level, but we sang this particular song that was singing, we sang it at a children's level, but as a child, I didn't really know the fundamental doctrine that was in this song. And this is what the song, this is how the song went. Some think so, they hope so, they trust so, they guess so, but I know I know I am saved. Some hope they'll reach heaven, reach heaven at last, but I know, I know I am saved. You know what we're gonna talk about today? Can you know? Can you be sure of your salvation? And if so, what is the biblical foundation for understanding Eternal security, we call it, or eternal life. Can you know that you have eternal life? 
Well, I've got really good news for you. That's what the book of 1 John is all about. John's all about us knowing. In fact, in 1 John 5, 13, this is what he says. I have written this. This is the end of the book now. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So who's it written to? It's written to believers. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know. Everybody say no with me once. No, so that you may know that you have eternal life. I want you to walk out of here. John wants you to walk out of here. The Holy Spirit wants you to walk out of here today knowing that you have eternal life. For some of us today here in this room and online, the Holy Spirit of God and the Lord Jesus Christ wants you to find him for the first time today so that you can know that you have him. And that's been my prayer all week. John is basically saying, I want you to know that you have eternal life. So today's message is this, salvation's assurances. Salvation's assurance. We can be sure of our salvation. And we're gonna jump right in with 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 1. This is, where he, this is where he comes from off of last week in 1 John 1. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. Now, of course, this comes right on the heels of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I wanna, I wanna just take a pause right here and um, clear something up because I had somebody come up afterwards and ask me, so, Phil, that's written to believers. Remember we talked about that? This book is written to believers. And so 1 John 1, 9 is not written to the unsaved. It's written to the saved. So if we sin, so we know we're going to sin. In fact, if you say you don't sin, then you're a liar. We learned that last week, right? So we all sin. And if we come to the Lord and we ask him and we confess our sin, we will find forgiveness for that sin. And somebody came up and said, so what we have to do is we're coming to the Lord for salvation. Every time we come, we have to get saved again if we have sinned. Is that true? It's absolutely not true. And you need to hear this loud and clear. What we're going to find today is that once you're in Christ, you are in Christ. Once you're saved, you are saved if you're truly saved. And so we don't come back to the Lord. First John 1, 9 is not coming back to the Lord for salvation. It's coming back to the Lord for relationship. Remember, we talked about if you introduce relationship, our relationships die in darkness, remember? And they thrive in the light. So if you sin, you're introducing darkness into your relationship with the Lord. You're grieving the Lord by grieving the Holy Spirit and actually quenching the Holy Spirit in your life. And so we come to the Lord and confess our sin. And when we come and confess, we will be released from the debt of that sin and we will be able to mend the relationship again. But it has nothing to do with your salvation. I need you to hear that loud and clear if I didn't make it clear last week. But at 1 John 1, 9, it says if we confess... He is faithful. Remember, he is faithful to forgive because he said he would. He will apply free grace to our sinful condition. Now, there's a bit of tension on the part of pastors when they preach that. When they preach 1 John 1, 9, confess your sin and you'll be forgiven. He'll be faithful to forgive. You sin confess your sin, he'll be faithful to give you sin, confess your sin, and we talk about that. There's some reservation on the part of pastors to actually lean into that, even though there's truth here, and John wants us to know it. 
because somehow maybe the congregation will feel like, well, we have a license now to sin. Like, what's the big deal? I'm in. I could do whatever I want, and when I finish doing it, because it feels good to do it, then I just have to go back to the Lord, and he'll be faithful. And we talked about this. Don't, don't, don't be stupid, because he's also just. And he disciplines his children. But there's always some reservation. In fact, Paul in Romans 6, 1 tries to address this. When he's talking about sin and everything, he says, so, he's talking about grace applied to sin and how God is faithful. But he says in Romans 6, 1, so should we go on sinning that grace may abound? If grace is a wonderful thing, is grace a wonderful thing? Yes, it is. And his mercy and his grace and his love and his forgiveness and his long-suffering. Oh, how awesome is his long-suffering? And if those things are all awesome, well, then maybe I should just keep on sinning so that I can allow God an opportunity to just reveal himself more. And, and Paul's like, that's stupid. That's ridiculous. Okay, no. Should we continue to sin so grace may abound? Absolutely not, Paul says. Our Father is faithful to forgive John says, I, I think this is happening with John, actually. I think he's like, okay, I told you in 1 9, God is faithful to forgive, but I'm writing this, verse 1 of chapter 2 now, I'm writing this so that you will stop your sinning. I'm not writing this to release you to sin. I'm writing this so you'll stop sinning. I want you to stop sinning. God wants you to stop sinning. And by the way, you can because you're in Christ. You've been released from the chains, you've been released from the bondage of sin. You released from the power of sin. We haven't been released from the presence of sin, but we're certainly released from its power. It has no power over us anymore like it, it used to. And so John says, I want you to stop sinning. Forgiveness is good, right? Forgiveness is good. But living victoriously over sin is glorious. How awesome is that? Believers in Jesus Christ are the only people on the planet who can live free from the power of sin over their lives. You don't have to sin. You do it because you want to. I do it because I want to, not because I have to. So I'm writing so that you will not sin, and let's keep going with the second half of verse one. But if anyone does sin, and now the literal translation of this is literally, but when you do sin, okay? It's not like if you sin, like maybe you will. No, it's when you do, but when you do sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Now, there's some big words being thrown around here, okay? First of all, in their theological terms that we have, he is our advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he is also the atonement. The atonement means the payment that has been made for our sins. Now, before we go any farther, I wanna take you back to next week. You remember last week, we talked about the fact that God is angry at sin all the time. God cannot stand in the presence of sin. He cannot be in the presence of sin because God is holy and God is righteous and he is the judge of all sin and all unrighteousness. But I wanna take you a little deeper into that to help you see what you are being saved from and what this thing about Jesus being our advocate and what's important about that, okay? Are you all right so far? 
Don't lose me on this, okay? I know we're gonna get kind of deep in some things, but this is glorious for us. I'm so glad you're here to hear this news today. Ezekiel 7, 8 says this, soon, this is God, I will pour out my fury on you and unleash my anger against you. Now, he's speaking to his people Israel, and his people Israel had sinned in great sin against the Lord because they have rejected the Lord to follow other idols, and they were living in sin before God. This is before Jesus Christ, okay? Soon I will pour out my fury on you and unleash my anger against you. I will call you to account. You got that? I will call you to account for all of your detestable sins. Everyone must give an account of their sins before God. Everyone. Everyone. Because all have sinned and fall short of God's standard. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the scripture tells us. And Romans 6, 23 says that the wages of sin, your accountability, the wage which you earn because of your sin is death. And he's not just talking about spiritual, physical death. That's true also because death entered into the world. Physical death entered into the world because of sin. But it carries over to eternal death, separation from God. And so the wage, what we earn, the accountability we have before the righteous judge of the universe, God our Father in heaven, is judgment and eternal damnation apart from God because sin cannot be in the presence of God. You got that? And God's angry at sin. Nahum chapter one, verse two says this, the Lord is a jealous God filled with vengeance and rage. He takes revenge on all who oppose him and continues to rage against his enemies. The Lord is slow to get angry, but his power is great. And he never lets the guilty go unpunished. Who can stand before his fierce anger? Who can survive his burning fury? He will sweep away his enemies in an overwhelming flood. He will pursue his foes into the darkness of night. This is the God that we call Father. This is the God, the great almighty God of the universe. This is how his relationship to sin is. There is judgment coming, the scripture says, from God a just God, a righteous God for all those who are sinful. And so we have to ask the question, well, then who's the fix? I mean, how do we fix this problem? I wanna fix this problem. You wanna fix this problem? Well, it's not us. We're, we're lost before we find Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death, Romans six twenty three. but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise the Lord for that. God intervened. The Lord Jesus Christ came and stepped in in our place because the fix required someone other than those who messed it up and broke it. And we know that to be our advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ, which brings us assurance of our salvation. Assurance number one is that we have an advocate. This is how John wants to encourage your heart today. Can you know that you're saved? You can absolutely know that you're saved. Why? Because we have an advocate. Now, before we go into this any further, <sighs> for whatever reason, Pastor John, I don't know why this is. But for whatever reason, people think that eternal security and assurance of salvation is a Baptist thing. It's not. 
Are you hearing me? Now, one of the Baptist distinctives, one of the things we hold too dearly is eternal security, assurance of salvation, but not because we're Baptists. It's because we believe in the Bible. And the Bible is clear, and I'm gonna show you, John's gonna show us today that you can be sure of your salvation, that you can know that you're going to heaven while you're here on earth, that you don't have to lay your head at bed every night and hope you don't fall asleep and die in your sleep having not confessed some sin before the Lord and you're gonna end up in hell. That's a horrible way to live. God does not want his children living, biting their nails, their eternal nails all the time. And so this isn't a Baptist thing, but, I, it, but it's a biblical thing. And we're gonna show you, John's gonna show you from the scripture here. This what the Holy Spirit downloaded in him for us that we can learn. It's not a Baptist thing. It's a biblical thing. And it's a faith thing. But you do know that everything in the scripture is a faith thing, right? By faith, we believe this is the preserved, inspired word of God, and we can trust it. We believe it by faith. And so I'm gonna lay this out for you, and I hope that maybe, maybe some of you for the first time today are going, what? I didn't know that. That's awesome. And walk out of here relieved because you've been worried about whether you're gonna wake up in heaven or hell someday. John's like, I, that's not okay. I want you to know that you have eternal life. And one of the assurances here, he starts right with Jesus Christ, right where it begins, right where it has to begin, and that is that we have an advocate. Look at verse one, the second half of verse one. But if anyone does sin, I want you to stop sinning, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Because you and I, can't be good enough to fix the problem that we have with sin. We can't crawl our way out of our sinfulness, can't do it on our own. We are powerless against the pull of sin in our lives. The scripture says before we come to Christ, we are slaves to sin and we can't even help ourselves. And the judgment is coming for all of us and we can't do anything to hold back the fury of almighty God against our sin. We are guilty. And what John does is he takes us like into the courtroom. And I want you to picture a courtroom now as we talk about this advocate thing. Picture yourself standing in the courtroom before the awesome, terrifying, righteous judge of the universe, God Almighty. Sitting on his high place, gavel in hand, ready to declare judgment on you. And here you are sinful and broken, you're being brought before his eternal bench for judgment. And just then, you hear something. You hear a voice over your shoulder. And that voice is the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he walks up beside you and he says, don't worry. I'm here to take care of this problem. I'm your advocate. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? You feel the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ on your back saying, I got this. I'm gonna go take care of this between, between my father and I for you. 
That's what John is telling us. Your advocate is one who pleads a case for another. So you and I, if we just step into the courtroom, we've got a guilty sign hanging over our neck. Everybody knows it. Everyone knows you're guilty. Even their defense attorney knows that you're guilty. And he's like, dude, I got nothing for you. I can't, I can't say anything. You're, done. you're toast. You're, you're guilty. But right then, because of the day that you humbled yourself before God and you confessed your sin and you repented before the Lord and you declared him with your mouth and with your heart, the Lord of your life, and you are dependent now on Jesus to forgive you, then he comes, the one Jesus who is truly righteous. And by the way, he had to say that. He wants to say that. He wants you to know that he is the righteous one, the one who is truly righteous. Because had Jesus committed one sin, just one, if he had, if he had disobeyed the law at any point, then he would not be able to stand as your advocate and stand up for you because he would be just as guilty as we are and he would be standing there with a guilty sign over his neck. But we know he has never sinned. So Jesus, the righteous, the one who knew no sin, steps in and pleads our case and says, Father, he's one of mine. This is so overwhelming to me because I don't deserve the sacrifice. I don't deserve the Lord to step in for me, but he's gonna declare to the Father, I purchased him out of his sin with my blood. My sacrifice is covering him. I took his sin, I gave him light, and I gave him life. He is now one of your children because I bought him. Amen. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. So why does this fact bring us assurance that we have an advocate? So what? It's because if you didn't belong to Jesus, then he wouldn't be your advocate. The reason it brings us assurance is because if he's your advocate, and John says if you're in Christ, he is your advocate, then that means you're in Christ. And you can be sure that you're in Christ. And that whatever that day looks like, when we all stand to give an account of our lives, Jesus Christ will be our advocate before the Father. That's assurance number one. Assurance number two, our debt has been paid. Look at verse one again, the second half of verse one into verse two. He, Jesus Christ himself, is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Atonement means this, the satisfaction of a debt. 
Jesus, what he paid on the price, satisfied the debt that our sin had before the Father. And don't miss it. It's not just for our sins only. John wants us to know it's for the sins of the whole world. This thing of salvation is for everyone. If you have it, it's good for all eternity. You hearing me? But if you don't have it, then you're hopelessly lost for all eternity. It's available to everyone right here, right now. That's what John wants us to know. But you've gotta have it, listen to me, you've gotta have it for its power to be effective on your soul. It can't be, well, I hope I have it, or my mom said I have it, or I talked to my pastor and he convinced me that I have it. No, you've got to know that you have it. And I've talked to many people especially in this area of the country. I've talked to many people who think it's arrogant for you to say you know. Who are you to say you know? Well, it would be arrogant if I couldn't point to the place in the Bible where God says I can know, right? Look at verse three. And we can be sure that we know him. Bam, there it is. We can be sure that we know him. We all can be sure that we know him. And how does that work? Here's assurance number three. Because we have validating proof. We have validating proof. There are some things that he wants to tell us right now that are proof that we are saved. There are certain things, look at, well, look at verse three again. And we can be sure that we know him, what's the next word? If. So there are some certain validators that when if present in our lives and are increasing in our lives, serve as proof of our salvation. Here's the first one, validation number one, increased obedience. Look at verse three again. We can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Hmm. Increased obedience. If we obey his word, if we do what it says. So one of the ways that we can know that we are saved is that there is an increasing pattern and desire for obedience to God's word. That's how you can know that you're saved. Are you hungry for God's word? Do you wanna do what's right? Do you wanna know what's right and do what's right? So if like inside of you, if you have a hunger for God's word, and it's like God says it's darkness, and so you run from it, you flee from it, but it, whatever he calls light, you run into and embrace, that's one of the marks of salvation. You know how I know that? Because you weren't like that before you came to Christ. And no one seeks after God outside of a relationship with Christ. In fact, spiritual things are foolishness to those who don't believe. So they're not thinking about those spiritual things. They don't do those spiritual, they don't have a hunger for God's word and they don't wanna know what God has to say and then they're trying with everything they can even though they fail, nod your head, even though we fail, they don't have an increased hunger for God's word and a desire to obey it. This is how you know This is how others know that you are saved. 
Because others will see that you have a hunger for God's word. They will see that you're trying with all your might to obey God's word. You have an increased obedience. Look at verse four. If someone claims I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. This person is living in their own reality about sin and death. They say they know God, but they're not following God. They're living the way they wanna live. Actually denying truth about reality by the way that they're living their lives. There is a biblical reality about how you should live. They're saying they believe in God, but they're living outside of the reality. Kind of like when I was a kid, when I was a little kid, I thought I could breathe underwater because I had a dream one night that I was breathing underwater. It was the coolest thing. I was just like swimming around in this lake or something and I'm like going. (sighs) It sounded like this. (sighs) I probably had my head stuck in a pillow or something, you know, but I was dreaming and I'm like, this is the coolest thing. And you know how it sounds if you're, if you're like, if you lay down in the bathtub and you just leave this much of your head out and you can hear yourself breathing and it's like, you know that? Or if you're snorkeling or something like that, okay? So for whatever reason, it was so real, I thought I could breathe underwater. So the next time I took a bath, I stuck my head underwater and tried to breathe. (laughs) And I thought, well, something's wrong. And next time I got into a swimming pool, I jumped into the swimming pool and I thought, I'm gonna do it. (gasps) Now, if I kept growing and now I'm like 50 years old, I'm not, but if say I was. <laughs> and every time I get underwater, I, every time I get in water, I stick my head under to try and breathe because I had a dream someday. You'd be like, you need help, Phil. <laughs> you have a problem. You're living outside of reality. Nobody can breathe underwater. You can't do it. You're not a fish. You're a human being, you can't breathe underwater. Yeah, but I know, but I had a dream and in my dream, I breathed underwater. So what, stop it. You're living outside reality. Listen, my friends, those who claim to know God but don't obey his commands are a liar. They're not living in reality. If you claim to be part of God and if you're in Christ, you will have a heart's desire, even though you'll fail, even though you'll screw it up. You'll have a heart's desire because the Holy Spirit's living in you for his word and to obey it. And you'll have an increased obedience and that's proof of your salvation. Everyone else is not living in the truth. But verse five, but those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. This is how we know we're living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Write this down somewhere. The proof in your relationship with Jesus has very little to do with what you say and has everything to do with what you do. You see, our obedience to God's word to govern our lives and the denial of our will to govern over our lives is proof that the love of God is in us because people outside a relationship with Jesus Christ do not live that way. They would never do that. You and I did not do that before we came to Christ. Only those who are in Jesus Christ will increase their obedience to God and his word. But that's a validator that you're saved. Are you increasing in that? Here's another validator. Validation number two, you'll have a deepening love. 
You'll have increased obedience, but you'll also have a deepening love. Look at verse seven. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one you've had from the very beginning. This old commandment, and what he's referring to is loving the Lord your God with all your heart and loving others or loving your neighbor as yourself. That's the old commandment he's referring to. So the old commandment, this old commandment, is the same message you heard before, and then he puts this twist on it, yet it is also new. So he's referring to two other teachings of the Lord Jesus, okay? The first is in Matthew 22. I want you to see it on the screen. Matthew 22, 37. The Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, Lord, they tried to trap him all the time, and they said, what is the greatest commandment? And this is what the Lord Jesus said in 2237. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. These come, these are the old commandment. These all come from the Old Testament commands in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, which is all about loving God and loving others. So that's what he's saying. He said, this isn't a new commandment, it's an old commandment, but he says it is a new commandment. And here's what he's talking about. He's referring back to the time he spoke to them in John 13. Look at it on the screen, John 13, 34. He says, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So what he's saying is there's something new going on here now. You are to love each other the way I have loved you. That is sacrificially, giving myself wholly and completely to you. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Are you hearing this? This is your validator. This is the mark of a true Christian. Everyone will know, including you, will know that you know the Lord, that you are one of the disciples of the Lord, and the, the validating mark is you will love the brothers and sisters in Christ. Because of our great love for one another, our great love for one another and a deepening love is proof that we have salvation, is assurance of our salvation. Because people are naturally selfish. Right? Right? And we love ourselves more than we love God. And we love ourselves more than we love others. But John wants us to know that this is the way you can tell who the real Christians are. He's saying the, the commandment to love God and others is as old as Moses, he's saying. But it's new in that it's for you and your brothers and sisters. It's between you and your brothers and sisters. And it's new for you today and then it's new for you tomorrow because this is supposed to be something we do on an ongoing basis. And then it's as new to you the next day as it was a week ago. It's an ongoing new commandment to love each other. And this is how we know that you are a true believer. And this is how you know if you are a true believer. Are you increasing in your obedience? Are you going deeper in your love for God and others, and if this is true, then you're living like Jesus. Look at verse eight. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it. The reason you are is because you're in Christ. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. 
It's evidence that you are in Christ because the darkness is disappearing from your life, because you're applying God's word, you're loving others. The light is shining through you now, and this is validation of your salvation, that you are truly a child of God. The way that people know that we're children of God and the way that you know that you're children of God because now you have the power to forgive instead of seek revenge or to fight. Because you have the power to reach out in love instead of revenge. You know you're a child of God when you bless those who curse you and when you reach out with sincere love for your enemies and you do good to those who hate you and you pray for those who abuse you. When you give generously to those who are in need and to everyone who asks of you, this is proof that you're saved. This is assurance of your salvation. But, look at verse nine, if anyone claims I'm living in the light but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. And you might be like, are there really people among us like this? In the church of Jesus Christ, in, in this body, are there really people like this? Yes, there are. John keeps saying things like, if you say you're this and you're that, you're missing it. You're fooling yourself. So don't kid yourself that there's not a pattern of growing deeper in love for those around you, especially those in the family of God. John wants you to know you're still in the darkness and you need to come into the light. Not perfectly, of course, right? But if love isn't present in an ever-increasing manner in your heart, evidenced by your outward expressions, then you're missing one of the necessary marks of true Christianity, and that's a problem. I get it, you know, some of us are prickly pears by nature. We're prickly in our personalities. We have an outer thing that's going on. That, um, are a little ouchy sometimes. And I get that, but that's not who you are anymore if you're in Christ. You get that, right? You get that, right? I mean, that is who we were, and that might be our nature, but we have a new nature now. We're supposed to be growing in this every day, working on ways to get rid of that old outer shell, get rid of that old stuff and take off those old clothes and put on newness in Jesus Christ, actually become like Jesus Christ. And the example of Jesus Christ is how we should walk. Your attitude, Philippians 2, should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who was all about giving himself in love to those like us. Something new is here and it's driven by love. Look at verse 10. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. What this literally means, if you studied it out, it means this, you don't get caught in your own trap and fall down. That's what it means. Remember last week when I said all of our relationships die in the dark and thrive in the light? And we talked about the fact that if you introduce darkness into your relationships, those, those relationships begin to die. It's because the darkness that's entering in, in every case, is selfishness. Selfishness has no place in our relationships with God and our relationship with each other. 
This is the love we're dealing with here is agape love. It means self-sacrificing love. And self-sacrificing love has no room for selfishness in it. You and I will fall down and get trapped in a, in a trap of our own making if we don't deepen our love for God and others. I read this this week. I thought it was awesome. You could put this on a wall somewhere. Love puts others ahead of self and God ahead of all. Love puts others ahead of self and God ahead of all. Look at verse 11. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. This is kind of heartbreaking. The person walking in the darkness is blind and doesn't know that he or she's walking in the darkness. This should help all of us understand what's going on in Aunt Susie and Uncle Frank's heart last weekend when we got together for our family. And it's like, why are you guys acting this way? Why are things, why are you like this? It's because they don't know Jesus and they're walking around blindly in the dark and they don't know what they don't know. They don't even know that they're lost. They think they're fine, but spiritually they're lost and they're groping in the darkness and they can't find their way out. That's what's wrong with them. And our hearts should break for them because they don't know. They need the light of our love to shine in their hearts, not our condescending spirit. This is important. Because people who don't know the Lord, like we were at one time in, their, in our lives, they don't know they need the Lord. Yeah, but the sin that they're involved in is dark, Phil, I know. And it's destructive. And it's hurting you and it's hurting your family and it's hurting their family and it's hurting everyone around them. But what they need is our love and they need our patience and they need our prayers. They need us to speak truth. I'm trying to grow in this because I'm a truther. And so whenever I get confronted with lies and untruth, I want to speak into that like right now. This is what God says. <laughs> But when people are lost and they're groping around, they need somebody to guide them out of the darkness. They need somebody to guide them into the light. And it is your love for them and your long suffering, the way that God was long suffering with you, that help, will help guide them into the light. So important for us. And somebody came up last week and said, I, I have this person and they're in the middle of some really dark things in their life and they don't feel like they will be welcome at this church. And I went to the person and I said, listen, we love you and the Lord Jesus loves you. We want to embrace you here because you need to hear the things that God wants to say to you. This is a place that should be open to that. We should be open to those who are seeking the Lord. Here's the final validator. Validation number three. Simply this, we grow up. We grow up. Look at verse 12. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. 
I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. And I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. Now your Bibles probably say, I'm writing to you little children, I'm writing to you young men, and I'm writing to you fathers. Okay, we're not talking about the physical young man, fathers, and little children. We're talking about maturity levels is what John's talking about. He fires up again on verse 14. I've written to you who are little children because you know the Father. I've written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. By the way, he says the same thing about the fathers or those who are mature in the faith both times. And I've written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong and God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. Here's what he's saying, okay? What he's saying is, The way you can know if you're in Jesus Christ is if you're growing up. You remember what it was like when you first got saved? (laughs) I'm saved. You remember how it felt the first time you, you released your sin to the Lord and you received his gift of salvation and you felt his Holy Spirit and you're like, this is so awesome. I have this weight lifted off my shoulders. I'm a new man. I'm a new woman in Jesus Christ. And you're all giddy and you're all excited and you don't know what to do with all this excitement. That's what a little baby is. That's what the little kid is when you're, in G- when you're beginning in Jesus Christ. And then you start to grow up and you become a young man or a young woman and you start to get into your adolescence and you start realizing, I'm screwed up. I, I, I thought, I've just get saved, everything will be fine. I'm still struggling, I'm still wrestling. Why am I still wrestling? And you're, you're growing in the Lord though and you're becoming stronger in him because you have a hunger for God's word and you're in God's word and you have a, a hunger for that and you're being strengthened in that and you're seeing victory over your sin and then you grow into full maturity where you know the one who was from the beginning. You commune with God, you're still imperfect, you're still falling, but not like you used to. And you know the Lord. What John wants to say is, you wanna know if you're saved? Are you growing up in your walk with God? If you are, and you're seeing that in an ever-increasing way, salvation's assurance. So to wrap it up, are you growing in obedience to God's word? Are you genuinely growing deeper in love for God and others? And are you maturing in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? Not perfectly, right? Not perfectly, but increasingly. If that's the case for you, then rejoice, my friends. You are a child of light. You bear the marks of a true believer, and when the call comes, will the real Christians, and the call is coming. The call is coming. The world is gonna call out. Will the real Christians please stand up? Stand boldly to your feet, my friends, because you are a child of God. Not, I think so, I hope so, I trust so, I guess so, but I know, I know I am saved because the marks are there for my salvation. These things are written, John says. I've written these things so that you may know that you have eternal life, so that you know that you have assurance of salvation. We're not done. I mean, we are today. We're not done. We're gonna see many more justifiers, um, assurances of our salvation as we continue 
to this book. I hope that this has uh, been refreshing to your heart and enlightening to your soul. That if you're in Christ, you're in Christ. Amen. And nothing can separate you. Nothing. Let's stand to our feet. If you don't know the Lord and something inside of you is telling you, I don't know that I am saved. You may be sitting here and for years you've thought, I'm in, I'm a Christian. And yet all of these validating marks today are not true in your life. That's a problem. I wanna help you with that problem. And we have a team of people that are gonna be down front here. I would love to talk with you about that because today can be the beginning of a brand new life for you and the Lord Jesus Christ. We wanna help you with that if you need the Lord. Our team's up here every week, you guys, and they love you and they wanna pray over you. So anything you have that you would like them to pray with you on and, and help you with, don't hesitate ever to come down here and uh, take a hand of one of our prayer team members. Lord, I thank you for truth. I'm just so thankful that I don't have to worry and wring my hands every day and every night as to whether or not I'm going to heaven, whether or not I have true salvation. I'm so thankful that you inspired John to write these words to us so that we can know. Help us in our growth, Lord, because we are all weak. And so help us, some of us may even need to confess some things to you and mend the relationship again. But oh, how happy we are and thankful we are for your forgiveness and your acceptance and your long suffering and patience with us and that you will always be faithful to your promise that we are your children and there's nothing that can separate us from your great love. Help us to live in light of that and not waste your grace this week as we go out of this place. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you as you uh, go and love on each other and don't forget about signups for life groups tomorrow, 7 p.m. Love you guys.